This is the Accounting Insider Show. So this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. There's got to be an easier way. It's achievable for anyone. It doesn't cost anything to set up a business. Because there are many great ideas out there, but it's the people that make ideas happen. Because once you unlock this formula, you, there's no reason to stop. You just get better and better at it. You just make so much money out of it. So today we're sitting down with Maysam El-Mazri, who is an um, intern at the Lyle McEwen Hospital in Adelaide. Um, we met not that long ago, about um, maybe three months ago, when I sat down with her and her mother, who's a GP, and we had a chat about what it means to move into the workforce out of like finishing med school and all the sort of stuff that you need to consider. And um, from an accounting point of view, what does your life look like? What do you need to get set up and all of that sort of stuff? But anyway, at that meeting, I was really... Um, excited to meet May Sam and just thought that she'd been on a tremendous journey and so I invited her back to do this podcast with me um, because you've got a really interesting story to tell May Sam so I'm just going to um, set it up so you are um, basically a young doctor who has worked their butt off to get into med school and um, had to move from Adelaide over to Perth and live there for six years and study medicine um, while all your family is back in Adelaide. Um, you are part of, well, you've got a very strong connection with Lebanon and the Lebanese culture. So we'll touch on that. But all of that wrapped up makes a really interesting journey that you've had on your life. Now, you're only young, so, um, you know, it's not like you've, we're interviewing someone in their 60s or 70s. You're, you're right at the start of your career, but it's a really good checkpoint, I think, just to sit down and, and touch base on on where you're at with with everything right now. So, welcome on onto the show. Thanks Thank for you. thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> we're sitting down doing this on a Saturday afternoon, which is great. There's no one else in the office. We've got this room all set up to our to ourselves. So there's no outside noise. It's awesome. This is a podcaster's dream. Um, <laughs> so thanks for giving up your Saturday afternoon to sit down and talk to us. So whereabouts were you born? Um, I was born in a small country town in the southeast called Keith. Yep. Uh, which is around uh, two and a half hours out of Adelaide, I would say, um, and has a te- like it's around one thousand one hundred people, I think, from the last census. Okay, <laughs> so mum and dad, um, dad is a dentist, mum is a GP. Yeah. They were very involved in that Keith community. So um, I imagine were there many, and and they are um, both having grown up in Lebanon and moving out to Australia, immigrating. Um, was there much of a Lebanese culture down there at all? Absolutely not. So no. you were, you were surrounded by Aussies. It was literally white Australians. Like the yeah, we were the definitely the odd ones out. We were like the only ethnic thing that had ever graced that little town, probably. Um, but um, I don't know. It was nice. We got greeted to like my parents got greeted to the real Australia, I guess you could say, because it was like that Australian hospitality. Everybody was really lovely. Yeah. Well, well I think your dad, well, especially your dad, did an awesome job. Like he's a big Crows fan. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> like when he would have moved to Keith, he would have known absolutely zero about Australian football, but he no. educated himself and and became part of the community yeah and then he got known as being a crow supporter and there were a couple of Essendon supporters I think who were your neighbors yeah and so it was on for young and old I think they used to sit down and watch games together and all of that so um yeah that's it's really interesting that he was able to put his 
um, Lebanese culture on hold and mm. embraced the Australian culture while he was living in that in that um, southeast town. So when um, you went to school down there, you went to the Keith, Keith Area School. Keith Area School. Yep. Now, I'd imagine that that would have been quite rough. Um, what? Not, not really, actually. Primary school was really lovely, actually. The only thing that was weird was the fact that all of them were like farmer's children and my parents were the doctor and the dentist of the town. So I used to be jealous of like my friends in the sense I want a horse because my best friend Lauren literally has a horse. Like, so you know how like girls would be like, I want a pony daddy. Like all I had was like syringes and like scalpels and things like that. And that doesn't appeal to a child, but I'm really um, grateful for my like upbringing in Keith because it was literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, and you just had the essence of people and you become a people person by being raised in a town like that. So and imagination as a child and playing in like a dinghy. Like that was our playground sometimes. What, on a creek or on a dam or on a river or? No, literally in the middle of the tennis court, they just put this old dinghy there and we didn't want to play on the new playground. We wanted to play on the weird dinghy with the rope in it. And we used to have a grand old time. Like it was cool. Was it you and Lauren? Me and my friend Lauren, and there was this other girl called Georgina Allen. She was lovely. They're all, yeah. Now, there is a bit of a connection here because Mel, who works for me, she was also down there at Keith. Mm. Was she in the same year as you? Mel? Mel Mel Semler. Mel Semler. No, she wasn't. That was in my brother's year. Oh, she was in Ferris's year. Yeah, yeah. And he's older. He's older, yeah. So he is 31. Okay. So... And how old are you? I'm 24. 24. Right, so there's a big gap. Yeah, there is. So he would have, like, you would have been this, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but like his annoying little sister that we wanted to tag yeah, along Yeah, yeah, I was. I really wanted to always tag along. There's actually pictures of him when he's playing basketball and I'm actually weaseling myself in with the team. And it's like tall, 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 small brown guy, really tiny brown girl, like four years old. Um, but... Yeah, there is an age difference between me and my brother. So we never really had the brother-sister relationship that I see a lot of other people have. But we have a lot of love for each other. But we just never used to, like, hang out together and Mm. stuff like that. So when you were young, did your parents teach you how to speak? Is it? Arabic. Arabic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you go to classes to learn to write? No, not at all. So basically, because mum was on call and working all the time, not all the time, um, but yeah, most of the time, dad um, was also working. We used to have a nanny um, that used to come and her name was Judy Macon, may she rest in peace. And she raised me when mum wasn't home. But then whenever mum used to come back, I'd have to speak in Arabic. Mum wouldn't let in the us, house. In the house. So I would sometimes respond in English and then my mum would say, No, 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 no. And then I used to cry and be like, I don't want to speak in Arabic. But it was like I wouldn't be able to communicate with my mother unless I spoke in Arabic. She didn't give me an option. She it was just black and white. Yeah. And my dad was on board with her and He spoke in Arabic as well. Yeah. And Ferris actually learnt Arabic before he knew English. So when he was a baby, he knew Arabic. So it was very ingrained. But because we were raised in Keith, the moment you stepped out, it was like, G'day, mate, how's it going? And so that's why I'm this person that's able to speak Arabic 
but I have this Australian accent, but then I can switch. So if I'm speaking English to my mom, I will talk like this, like, mama, what are we eating for dinner? Like, why are we, what, where are we going now? Like if literally, if you call my mom right now, that's how I would talk like ethnic. But when I'm speaking, why, why? Because I don't know. That's just what I do when I speak to Arabs. Even if I'm speaking in English, I have that accent. You put on a fake. No, 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 it's not. That's no, but it's a fake no, Arabic Aussie it's accent. It's my accent when I'm speaking Arabic. Oh, okay. So, for instance. But it's different to the way you speak to Mama, me. Mama, I'm going to bed. See how the accent is the same, but the language is different. Yeah, okay. But I'm speaking now in my. It depends on who I'm speaking to that I switch between. Okay. Yeah. Can you write? No, I can't. Okay. But I'm tr- learning how to write because I'm studying um, Islamic studies on the side. So you know what you want to say and you know how, how to say it. Like it all fits. But you just have to work out the characters and the letters. and. Yeah, and I, ta- I tried to teach myself a little bit when I was like 16 in high school, but yeah. then I got sidetracked with German um, at school. And so I know a little bit of the letters. So whenever we go back to Lebanon, I can read like – a little bit. Bits and pieces. But you can speak to everyone fluently and that they know that you're not a native, but you can certainly have a conversation. Yeah, and they always say that my I um my accent is cute. They always <laughs> say that. I don't know why. It's they always say it. Well that did did people think did, did you think that was a bit weird to have like this, you know, language that you speak in the house, but as soon as you work out through the front door it's Snaps into I didn't realise. You until, thought that was normal. Until I came to Adelaide and people heard me speaking on the phone to my mum oh. and they were like, that's so weird. And I was like, what's wrong? And they'd be like, air conditioner. <laughs> and then I'd be like, what are you talking about? And I didn't realise. Like, I also didn't realise when I say no, I say like no, like 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 a wog, like an ethnic person, like no. And then everyone was like, no, bro. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you – like I don't realise these things. It's just – It's just normal. It's normal, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you look back at your class that you were in at um, Keith, Keith, were you top of the class? How no, smart were you? I was. I was average. Average? Yeah. See, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. yeah. You were just getting what, A's, B's, C's? school um i was like yeah b b b's b minus b minus yeah <laughs> and what what year so i think your parents came to the realization that they wanted to educate you guys in the city in like a yeah college. that was when ferris started year 10 he started high school so they didn't want um, us to be separated because that's a very ethnic thing. Like you don't separate your family like apart. Um, like with you, they didn't want him to go to boarding school and then them to be st- like in Kiev. So they um, uprooted the family yeah. and relocated to, to Adelaide. Adelaide. Um, and then he went to Emmanuel Emmanuel College, College and Emmanuel- I went to Emmanuel Primary. Oh, at the same time? Yeah. Right. And was that, how did you find that transition? That was really hard. Was I it? remember me, mum, dad and Ferris driving um, 
when it said welcome to Adelaide and we were me and mum were in one car and dad and Ferris were in the other and we were crying as we entered Adelaide because we didn't want to leave. You didn't want to leave Keith. No. You loved it. It was an idyllic life down there. It was it, yeah, it was actually when you think about it. Now I'm like, oh my god, it'd be so hard to go back to such a small town because I'm more city inclined, but it was really difficult. I was like, why is it so loud in Adelaide? Why are there so many people? People aren't as friendly. So I take it it's not like most families that live at Keith that, you know, every second or third weekend they're in Adelaide. That never happened. No, we did because we had our family here. Oh, yeah. Mum's side yeah. of the family yeah. was here. But, like, it was still, I don't know, we loved it. It was home. Keith was home. It, and it was the people and the environment and just – Good vibes, like really good country vibes. People were nice. Wow. Like if you were an idiot or like like someone that was really rude or mean, like people wouldn't like you in Keith. Like everybody was just, I don't know. We had really good experiences in there. That's awesome. Um, okay. Because often those towns can be the opposite. Like if you're any hint of ethnic in some Australian towns, you get ostracised, but no, it wasn't the case at all. Not at all. And everyone I speak to, it's almost to the point where Lee Gilmore, my IT guy, said to me, oh, if the Ormazaries ever wanted to move back to Keith, we'd welcome them with open arms. And I yeah. Thinking, what a crazy thing to say. Like, you, yeah. you haven't been there for like 20 years or something. Yeah. And yet he still thinks that the community sort of misses you. Yeah. yeah. I amazing. think it was because we showed them like Lebanese love. Like we're, 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 eth- we're so ethnic. Like for instance, mum used to bring like tabbouleh and hummus and cook all these things at barbecues. Like, you know, that's what she would bring. And so it added diversity and everybody really appreciated that. And um, she just like mum and dad, we were just, we were also a, like an adaptive family. We weren't these people that were just like, assalamu alaikum, we are Arab. Like we would not change anything about our culture, our people, like, oh, sorry, not people, people, people. Um, and so I think they liked that. We were relatable, but still different. So, yeah. Um, I'm digressing totally, but so, so what about 9-11? 9-11, mm. oh my gosh. What what what's what 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 happened? Well, when we were we were in Keith then. Yeah. Um I remember watching it because I got woken up by mum going, Khodor! That's my dad's name in Arabic. But he changed it as well in Keith because people didn't know how to pronounce it. So Hoda, he changed Hoda. his name to Kim. The same as me. Yeah, exactly. And so um but his real name is Khodor, but like that's the thing. It's K-O-H-D-R, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. K-H-O-D-R. Oh, yeah. K-H-O-D-R. Yeah. Um, see, that's why he changed it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just remember her going, Khodor, Khodor, television, look at the television. And then, like, the tel- television. And then I just remember, like, the image of the, the planes crashing. And we were just horrified. And then mum was, like, being, like, reading out, Quran kind of like exclamations like oh my goodness like this is horrible and stuff like god be with them god be with them like uh, like you know just hor- like horrified at what happened but then when everybody says oh my life totally changed and stuff it didn't really change in Keith like no one really so what we're Muslim like it had nothing to do with us like do you know what I mean it was only when I came to Adelaide people started to like make jokes about terrorism towards me and my brother and 
be like, oh, you're an angry Arab and stuff like that. You know, just those kinds of things. And then it was only when I realized... That was a lot later than 9-11 though. Yeah. Wasn't it? That could have been like five or ten years after. Yeah. But then I missed that boat. Yeah. Like I yeah. just, I don't know. Um, How, what, do you view, what are your views on those people that flew the planes into the buildings? That's not Islam. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's inhumane. Extremists. Yeah. That yeah. don't. You can't understand how they could no. come up with those ideas. It, it yeah. From what you understand well, the of the Quran. The funny thing is, is fun fact is the people that did that. They're um like I guess you can equate that similarly to ISIS now. If we're going to talk like you know yeah, and yeah. all the horrosities that the horrible things that they're doing, they actually bombed Saudi Arabia as well in Mecca, which is our holy city. When people are doing the pilgrimage, so they don't discriminate in the sense that oh you're a non-Muslim, we're going to bomb you. They they would kill me. They killed people who were praying. Like yeah. you know, it's just. It, that's got nothing to do with Islam. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. It's just I can't relate to them in any way possible. Mm, mm. And it's horrible. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to Emmanuel. You started there in the primary school and then you finished year 12 there? At Emmanuel. Yeah. yeah. And how did you – can I ask you what your ATAR was? Uh, my ATAR, 97.4. Yeah, 97.4. So that mark, don't take this the wrong way, but that's low, isn't it? Yeah, it for is. For medicine. Yeah, it is, probably, yeah. So how do you, what's, what do you think of that? Like, is that because you didn't try hard enough or? No, I definitely tried hard enough. Was it because your teachers weren't good enough? No, not at all. My teachers were lovely. I... Did, did you do all the tricks and techniques where you can do one subject in year 11 and then four in year 12 and? So that you spread the load? Did you do all of that? No. N- n- what did I do? I did food and hospitality in year 11. I did because I like cooking. And I was like, I'm going to use my ethnic girl like charm here. And everyone's like, wow, you're making tabbouleh. What an experience. And I was like, thank you, Brenda. Um, and so I did that just for funsies really. And then I – no, I did math studies, chemistry, biology, um, this research project where I analysed the symphony and compared it to Napoleon Bonaparte's life. Uh, I like classical music. Um, and what else did I do? Which Those symphony? Were the which, which, which symphony? Um, the the Eroica? Eroica symphony, the heroic one. The so one, you compared that to Napoleon. Because he did. The Napoleon. Bonaparte, yeah. The one that's riding the horse with the sword. The and- dictator, yeah, yeah. So someone wrote a musical for him. Beethoven, yeah. Beethoven did. Yeah. And you're comparing... Because he dedicated it to him. He wrote in his... Before Napoleon Bonaparte became more of a dictator, Beethoven was, like, obsessed with him and really, like, kind of admired him. And Mm. so he wrote this Eroica, which means heroic, I believe in... I don't know what language. Um, I should know. Um, And then as soon as he found out that he became... a dictator he crossed out the title of Rika from the um symphony and um in and wrote something like in memory of a um great 
hero, like to, to symbolize that Napoleon Bonaparte had like died essentially because he's become this dictator. But so then I analyzed the symphony and the different elements of the symphony and tried to see when certain life stages would be reflected in the music and the tones and the... Was it related? Well, I made it. I don't know. It, well, yeah, you could see things that got like quieter and, you know, music components. And dramatic with the drums. And- yeah, yeah. And how like it was a lot of nationalism because a lot of um, classical music um, or like impressionist music or romantic era music, um, there's a lot of nationalism elements to it. So you could hear that from the symphony itself. So, um, wow. Yeah. Oh, how do we get onto that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yes, we're talking about year 12 subjects. So you did some hard subjects as well as that hospitality yeah. one, which was relatively easier, mm. and then came up with that result. Mm. Now, that you, at that point, were you interested in medicine? Always. Mm. So you knew when you got the result that, mm, I don't think I'm going to make it in. It wasn't because of the result, actually. It was because of the UMAT. So this is a common misconception that people think you don't have to be a 99.95 to be a doctor. You need to be uh, determined and hardworking. And obviously you need to have brains, like you need to be like intellectually inclined, but you don't have to be like a physicist or a mathematician that, you know, you don't need to be Albert Einstein because you're working with human beings. Um, and so I knew that. And so I 97 was actually good enough if I had done well in the UMAT. But the issue was is that I hadn't done well in the UMAT. Which so was, what, what, why didn't you do very well in the UMAT? Um, because it's a very difficult exam. So basically – did, did Sorry, I'm just interrupting because I'm, I'm, I'm all over this. Did you, mm. did you actually take classes to prepare for the UMAT? I did. I did. And so I you took the classes as well for six months? E, yes. Did they help you I with it? I actually took it in year 11 as well. I took so, it twice before I started. So, so you sat – you got coaching with UMAT, same – organization both years mm, yes okay yeah. so well the, when you were doing it in year 11 you mm. would have started in like january because the umat's in june mm. so you would have prepared all of it and then not done the actual umat mm. and then regrouped the next year and got all your notes out and mm. improved them mm. so and you actually did a lot of preparation i did a lot it. of preparation for failure no well uh, i i mean obviously we know the outcome but <laughs> i'm interested in that because um, There's more. Well, five or six people out of ten would have thrown in the towel at that point, but you didn't. Oh, no, it was still early. It was still very early. Um, the UMAT's kind of like an IQ kind of test. Yeah. And um, it's to do with, like, shapes and logical reasoning and things that I just – I'm not a crossword kind of girl. Like, I just would not sit down and do a crossword. And that's kind of what the UMAT was targeted to. And – now that I think about it, I think it's a little bit of a mean test because there are a lot of different doctors out there with different personalities and different ways of thinking, yet they target to a different audience because human beings are diverse. So we shouldn't be just testing one way of thinking. Um, you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So um, but so the UMAT could not do it, did not understand it. Were, so there, were there tears? There were lots of tears. When the ATAR came through, there was devastation. No, I was happy with my ATAR. I was. I didn't think. Oh, you were. Like, you were upset when you got the UMAT. I was result. upset with the UMAT. Because you knew that 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 mark that you got wasn't mm. going to be enough, even though they don't tell you at the time. Mm. Can I ask you what you got for the UMAT? Oh yeah, I got forty nine out of 
out of it, you should get in the eighties. So that's a that's a way down. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm obviously not trying to make you feel bad, no, but no, I'm, no, no, this no. is giving people hope. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, I'm very secure in my failures good, because my good. failures made me who I am today. I know that's really oh, cheesy. I love that. But like, so that's a really low mark. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it's dismal and believe it or not, I sat it again in first year undergrad <laughs> So, and I got the same grade. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, hang on. You've jumped a step there. So you finished your ATAR. You had to put in what courses you want to do at university. Mm. What did you write on the form? So, uh, so I put in health science. Did you put medicine in or oh, you weren't going to bother when you... I did, it. actually. I put in Flinders... Medicine. Medicine. And then health science. And then health science. Which is the course that everyone does... To try to, and get... To a, try to get in a second time. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And that's what I did. Um, Where? At Adelaide Uni. Because I wanted to sit the UMAT again and give it another shot. Um, and then if not, I had already planned that I would try and... Um, my best shot with postgraduate medicine. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. You're getting ahead of me now. Sorry, that's I've got. To, I've just got to stop this because there's, there's a lot to take in there. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you you went to what? So with the health sciences degree, what, if you don't get into medicine and you st- how many is that? Three years or four years? Three. Three. What do you end up? Is it a total waste of a degree? No, you can. Um, it, it it leads to a lot of avenues. So you one it's a bachelor so it can lead you to further postgraduate studies and a lot of my friends became occupational therapists they did two years of ot um, others did two years of postgrad physiotherapy and it's that background of having health science knowledge so you understand physiology anatomy pathology it's a good background to where you want to go in the future or you can do science and pursue research if you want so, okay. And this is all after you finish those three years? Yeah. But we didn't have that intention in mind when we enrolled. No, I was always we, at going the end of medicine. At that next year, halfway through, mm. we're going to go for the UMAT again mm. and we're going to try to reapply. Like every other person in health science. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So everyone in the – they're all on the same page. The lecturers yeah. must know all that. Yeah. You're all, half of you are here or most oh, of you are I here. Just, yeah, I really want to do medicine. I'm really interested in medicine. Yeah, everyone. Okay, so you're there. You go and do it the UMAT preparation course a third time. No, I didn't do it the third time. You didn't do it? No, I just decided to sit it again because I didn't um, want to. Like, I've already done it twice. What am I going to get out of it the third time? You know what I uh-huh. mean? Um, so you did your own preparation? I used the preparation oh, that the I notes. had gotten before. Yeah. Ugh, a lot of preparation. <laughs> like, it ain't just chilling there and then I'm like, oh, well, I failed the UMA. Better chuck that in the bin. Like, yeah. yeah. So I tried that. No, that was, the, yeah, the third year, but second time sitting it. Yeah. Now, um, is this is this where we get success or is this not? No, we don't get we success. Still don't get success. We, st- we don't get success. No, no. We get 49. We get 49 again. And we should have been getting 80. Yes. And you're halfway through your sports, well, you're halfway through the first year of your sports science. Degree. Health science. Sorry, health science. <laughs> there is a sports science as well, but that's different. Well, I did do one. Yeah, it is different. It's very that's different. more being a PE teacher and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And it, you can't do sports science and then leapfrog into medicine. You can. You can. In postgrad. Okay. You can be whatever you want to be and okay. you, you just need to have a degree. You could have a degree in the Bachelor of Arts and then do postgraduate medicine. Okay. So we're halfway through that year and we get... Um, 49. 49. And then what? was what first are, year health science. Okay. And what do we do now? And then after that, we go, okay, we're going to sit the GAMSAT now. We're going for postgraduate medicine. 
And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to get into Flinders. And so that was what I wanted. And so then the next year, I started studying for the GAMSAT. The difference between the UMAT and the GAMSAT is you can sit it in your penultimate year of your degree, which means my second to last year of health science, which means my second year of health science. Okay, I'm with you. Yes, I've got all that. And that's what differentiated me between everybody else in the sense that I sat at the second year of health science, whereas they said they would wait until their last year. Third year. Their third year. I just started straight away. It was all, it was, it was just as important as studying my degree. Whilst doing my degree in health science, I was getting high distinctions in almost every subject, trying to be immaculate. But high distinctions, this is the trick. I used to get 85% slash 88 slash 90. That was my ballpark. I never really got in the 99s, like I said. But if you get a HD, it doesn't matter if it's an 80 or if it's an 99 it's a hd in uni and it just means that you're really good and so that made my gpa at the end of health science 6.99 so almost 100 percent so it was way better than my atar but it was because i was and i was just consistent i was just consistently doing well but not exceptional you know what i mean yeah yeah i know um and that counts towards postgraduate entrance into yeah because it's my uni. gpa they okay. look at your gpa not your atar anymore atar is out of the window yeah so mm. so gamsat gamsat yeah. yeah so did you do a course in the first six months of that second year of university to prepare yourself for the gamsat yes with the same organization as before no this was different this was um yeah this was a different one yeah better well, the GAMSAT and the UMAT are different. So, yeah, better. But also I was prepared for the GAMSAT because even in health science, I chose to do, you know, like um, chemistry, like advanced chemistry. And in the GAMSAT, they test physics, chemistry and biology. So I had biology down packed, chemistry I had down packed. So all I had to do was learn a little bit of physics and I was okay. Whereas this is also what separated me between me and my other friends was that um, they didn't do chemistry in high school. They they only did it in year 11. They didn't do it in year 12. And so I had chosen subjects in high school based on what needed in the GAMSAT in oh, high school. Wow, um, that's forward thinking for you, isn't it? Really forward thinking. So I was planning, not planning for failure, but I was always setting myself up for a good medical foundation. And so then in... First year uni, I chose higher level chemistry, which then set me up for the GAMSAT, which was testing higher level chemistry. Um, whereas they had only started basic chemistry in their first year. And so I, whilst we were sitting the UMAT, so I was already a little bit of a head in that sense. So um, you had a little bit of an edge on your other fellow students who were sitting the GAMSAT. Yeah. But it, remember, it, they weren't sitting it in second year. They sat in yeah, third, third year. Yeah, third year. Okay. Wh- is this where we get success? No. Oh. So I sat it twice in second year. Okay, I sat it in March and in September because there's the UK GAMSAT, so I flew to Melbourne and sat it. Why? Because more chance. Because what, what, what's a UK GAMSAT? It's basically the same thing as the GAM, but because GAMSAT, it's like for you, like England and Ireland. So and you were going to go and study over there? I would have went, yeah. I, I would have done anything. 
Yeah. And then the third time round in my final year of health science, I sat it and we had success. So you tried for it in March in... September um, and then in March again. So March in Melbourne or September? March in Adelaide. March in Melbourne you, you, and, and weren't successful. You know sort of straight away. Yeah, I don't remember what I got, but okay. yeah. Um, ballpark? 53. Out of 80. No, no, no. It's different now. GAMSA okay. has a different grading system. <laughs> um, it's like you need to get around 60. Yeah. So, okay, so that's not acceptable. Yeah. Then um, September in Melbourne for the UK one. Mm. And then what did you get for that? Um, 54. Yeah. All right. So still almost there, but not quite. Yeah. Even though you've got all these other subjects which should give you a competitive edge. Yeah. I'd be starting to get a little bit frustrated at this point because <laughs> this is like. Yeah, I know. I know. And then but, after that, I did it the third time and then I got like 60. Yeah, I got 60. This is, and this is March in Adelaide in the third year of health science. Mm. And you got 63. Mm. And you did that one course for the first six months. Well, no, it wouldn't have been six months because it must have been like three months getting ready for. The March mm. GAMSAT. Yeah. And then did you do another course for the September one? No, no. You just used the notes again? I just did it again. again. Is the, I sat it again. Is the exam very similar for UK and Australia? Yeah, it's the same. Same, okay. Yeah. And then you did it again? Yeah. Using the same notes? Yeah. Yep. And, being, and so now you told me a little story about how the family went on a European holiday. I'm pretty sure it was European. Yeah. And everyone was out partying. And you're studying by on the, the beat or by the pool with mm. your books and everyone else is <laughs> having a good time. Yeah. This sounds like torture. Can you just explain that story? Um, it wasn't torture because it's all a matter of perspective. So I was in this beautiful country with beautiful scenery, um, but I wanted the best of both worlds. So I decided to sit with a little mocktail and study. And so you could complain about the fact that I didn't have 100% of the fun, but I had like 70% of the fun with still hard work. It's all about consistency with studying, but like that doesn't mean you have to like sacrifice your entire life. So I still had the holiday and it was an awesome holiday, but I brought my books with me too. So on the plane, instead of watching movies, I studied. And so in the book, in, in you know, when you're reading like a nice magazine or a book on the pool, I was studying. What's the difference? It's, you're still reading. This, what country were you in with the pool? Um, was it Budrum in Turkey? Was in, Tur- yeah, Budrum at a, res- at a resort? Yeah. Yeah. The family was over there on a vacation. Yeah. And you're studying. Yeah. Whenever you've got spare time for the GAMSAT. Yeah. Yeah. With the notes from that course that you did. Yeah, yeah. And the pool example, was that third year? That was, no, that was second year. So, because <laughs> that, that seems like a waste of time to me. But it wasn't for you. No. Like, so that was that, the, the March the one? Because is valid for two years, may I also add. Was it? So if I smashed it in second year, I wouldn't have to sit in third year. But you'd but get straight in though, wouldn't you? No, no, no. If you smash you have it? to finish the degree still. You have to finish health oh. science. I always had to do those three years. 
So you're giving yourself effectively four chances at the GAMSAT, aren't you? You've got four cracks at it before Three, that. Three, because the September one is for the UK entrance, which would then get you not the next year, the year after. Right. Because okay. UK works six months behind us. Sure. Yeah, I think. Sh- sure. Front. Okay. Uh-huh. So you knew that you'd got that great result at the beginning of the year, but you had to get to the end of the year and finish that degree mm. before you could do it. Yeah. And Okay. And then how did you work out which university you were going to go to? Okay. So I strategically put it, so I was dumb in the sense that I was like, I still want to go to Flinders, but my GAMSAT was quite low in the scheme of other people's. So um, I um, I applied strategically based on low GAMSATs and um, my advantage was my GPA, which was almost seven, like I said, and um, things called the portfolio, which is like your CV in a way. And so I used those two things to my advantage and I was like, GAMSAT was always going to be my weakness. So I ranked the universities all over Australia based on um, who weighted GAMSAT the lowest. And I never had a conversation with mum and dad about, oh, should I move into state and stuff? It was always going to happen. Like if wherever I would go, I would go. We, we just, it was, it was not spoken because it happened to mum and dad for different reasons, which is much more heroic that Lebanon university closed down because of the war. So they had to study medicine and dentistry in Egypt. So it's kind of in our blood to chase education regardless of, um, you know, things that happen in life. So it was like, so what if you go to a different state? It's not a different country, you know? So, um, yeah. So how did you rank the university? So I ranked Notre Dame Sydney second because that needed the lowest GAMSAT. They needed a GAMSAT of a minimum of 52. Yeah. Um, and so I um, put that second uh, put Flinders first because I was like, no, I really go to Flinders. I don't want to move to blah, 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 blah. But I knew I wasn't going to get Flinders. Like I just had this feeling because Flinders, you needed a higher GAMSAT than what I had. And then after that, I filtered it. I put Notre Dame Fremantle. Then I put Deakin University in Geelong. And I based it also on geographical location to my family. I didn't want to be too far. But I put Notre Dame Fremantle third because if I put Notre Dame Sydney second, I should put Notre Dame Fremantle third because they're like sister unis you know Mm. um even though Fremantle's ages away and I put Perth UWA fifth um and then I ended up getting an interview in Notre Dame Sydney so I thought I was moving to Sydney um and I interviewed in Sydney and then they didn't want me and I got accepted in UWA which then I found out was actually a really good university. And my friends were like, this is actually a really good university. It's actually better than Adelaide University in the rankings. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm just so glad I got in. Like, I've got a medical uh, offer. So, yeah, that's what happened. Wow. Were you disappointed when you didn't get into Sydney? No. I was just fine. happy that I got into medicine. Uh, I, I found out as I was leaving my piano lesson almost got hit by a car because I was checking my phone and then I ran back and I ran towards like oh when God. you actually got it yeah you were yeah, so excited yeah yeah I, I cried from happiness so many tears of happiness and mum cried dad cried and then dad was like this calls for a celebration and he was craving donuts so we went to Villies 
Can you believe how selfish that is? Like he was craving donuts. He's like, congratulations on finishing your milestone. You've achieved such a milestone. I'm craving and what is it? A, a, a chocolate eclair. So let's go for me. So I Cafe s- de Villiers. Yeah. That's, that's his way of celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. That, well, I've just got to explain to people the Cafe de Villiers is like um, this Bogan's Cafe <laughs> uh, where, you, you know, there's so much fried food and fresh pies and pasties and sausage rolls. And, <laughs> you know, you can get chips with gravy there and a deep fried schnitzel. And, I, and this is being really rude, but I've got to say it the way it is. Everyone in there needs to go to the gym. <laughs> Is that how you remember? But the food is amazing and it's so cheap. You don't have to wait. It, the, the decor is awful, but the food is great. So this is the place that you went to celebrate. Yeah. Other people were like cranking out moly champagne, but you have to remember alcohol isn't a very big thing in the Muslim community. No, like we don't no. drink. So no champagne for me. I got a chocolate eclair. No, I had a cinnamon donut. It's the best cinnamon donut of my life. I can confirm. Did the whole family, did you dine in or was it takeaway? No, it was just me, mum and dad. Dining in in Cafe Dining de Villiers. Dining in. <laughs> oh, I can't believe that. Oh, well, it, it adds to the um, the beauty of the story, I guess. Um, okay, so, wow. So this is one hell of a letter that you, uh, was it an email or a letter? Email. Email, email. right, right. So emails back then. So you read the email, you got in, and then your life's about to change. Mm. So this is – and this what, – what month did you find out? Was it like January? No, I found out in – I found out I got my interview in Notre Dame, Sydney, which was huge because once I got the interview, I was like, that's it. Like now I'm in, they I'm can in. see who I am as a person. Like I have a lot to offer as a person. Like I don't – grades is one thing and, you know, yeah. test-wise and stuff, but really what differentiates you between a good doctor and an exceptional doctor and someone that can change the world is the person. You the know? EQ. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I – I know I had that. Like I, I just knew that. So I, once I got the interview, I was so excited and that was in August, I believe. And then in November, no, in October, in October, I found out that I got in. Um, to UWA. To UWA. So in August, did you fly over there with mum? To, to Sydney. To Sydney yeah. to do yeah. the interview? Yeah. And then a week or so later, you found out you didn't get it? Or a month or so? No, 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 no. I didn't find out that I got a rejection from Sydney because I never did. It was kind of like you tear your – like you put a – like a preferences, like one, mm. two, three, four, five, six, and I got number five. So if I was successful, I'd get an email that said, congratulations, you've been accepted into this university. But if I was unsuccessful, it means no universities want me. Okay. So – when you headed off to the West, mm. how did you feel about that? Um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Like med school, I knew exactly what I was getting myself into because I'd been studying and working hard my whole life. But the whole moving away from home, I was not like – it didn't hit me until I was alone, like when mum had left because yeah. she helped me set up and then it was just me in a residential college – with my best friends to be and I was like oh my gosh what's happening like this is so yeah unfamiliar it's um 
it's a hell of a shock because this is the first time you I felt ill inside. Yeah. Like, you know that, like, nervous butterflies feeling? Yes. I just felt like that the whole time. Um, That's awful. Yeah. It's Was awful. it a low point? Huh? Was it a low point? Mm. Like, this is not what it's all cracked up to be. I've st- I've worked my li- whole life to get not to this point. Not in medicine. Never in medicine. But in life, the whole learning how to be an adult and live independently away from my family and realizing just how sheltered I really was, like, as a Muzrab, yeah. <laughs> Muslim Arab, um, it you know, moving outside – of like moving out of home, that was the hardest thing for me, realizing how sheltered my life was and how my parents did a really good job in sheltering me from the terrible crap in the world. Yeah, it's like, because I know your parents very well and it's almost like you lived under a rock all your life. Well, yeah, and I actually went and saw a psychologist. No shame in seeking mental health if you need to. Advocate for mental health, break the stigma, hashtag break the stigma. Um, and so I went and saw a psychologist and she essentially told me what I was going through at the age of 21 was what 16 year olds go through in high school, you know, learning that you're different from your parents, becoming your own person, developing your sense of self. I had learned that at the age of 21. And I was like, are you essentially telling me I'm emotionally retarded? And she was like, no, you're not emotionally retarded. You're actually very eloquent in the way you express your emotions, but um, you've just lived a very sheltered, you know, quote unquote life. Is is this a psychologist in Perth? In Perth, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I've just got to explain to people, Perth is is 1,800 kilometres away from Adelaide. Yeah. It's this mining town on the side of Australia. Perth isn't. Perth's a city. Well, it, but it started as a mining town. It's a yeah, very it minor commun- mining community. But it's so remote. It's four hours flight from Adelaide, mm. and there's a time difference of an hour and a half. And two and a half now. Two and a half at the mm. moment with daylight savings. So you've got to understand that it's, um, it's almost – it's, it's almost remote. Like we in as Adelaide in the middle of Australia are very much aligned to the east coast. Perth being the other side from the east is like it will be a four-hour time delay or three-and-a-half-hour time delay from the east coast. And it's very much removed. I mean, I love Perth and I've been there a number of times, but it's, it's this beautiful big country town based on a river. Everyone's very affluent there when mining's going really well mm. and everyone's got beautiful boats and they – you know, they all have this out, outdoor lifestyle. But for someone like you, I could imagine that it would have been so outside of your comfort zone, mm. moving there, not knowing anyone. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up about the psychologist because that means that Pete things were pretty bad over there. Yeah, yeah, it got really Lots of hard. tears. Yeah, lots, lots of tears. Lots of phone lots. calls to mum saying, I can't do this. Yeah, but like not even in that sense it was like, it wasn't medicine. That's the thing. It was not the medicine that was hard. And I always say this to people, medicine isn't as hard as people think. It's doing life around medicine that is hard. And it was trying to mature as an adult and dealing with things like, you know, friendships and becoming a different person from my family and developing my own, like, I, you know, understanding of who I am as a Lebanese woman, as an Australian woman, as a Muslim woman and all this kind of stuff that was the hard bit. And that's what made me crumble and mm. find difficult moments. Like that's that, that was the struggle for me. It wasn't studying. 
studying came naturally because it was so embedded in who I was as a person from such a young age. I studied hard from year eight onwards. I was always a hard worker. I was just never a brainiac, you know? Mm, mm. You so, had to work to get your good yeah, grades. Yeah. Didn't, it came at a, pro, at, at a cost. It's not like you could just waltz into an exam like my cousin used to do mm. um, and he'd been out helping his dad with the shearing shed all day and still get an A in the exam. Yeah, I was, I was never, like, never that person. I was never like that. It I used to never, have to yeah. work my butt off, work harder than everyone else in my class and then I'd come up with a half-decent result. Yeah, yeah. But then when you get that amazing result, it's sweeter, like, mm. you know, because you know that was your hard work. How many appointments did you have to have with a psychologist? Mm, I think I had around six. That's a lot. Is it? Yeah. When did mm. things start to get good? Um, it was when I became to adapt myself to Perth and uh, it just clicked. I like, it wasn't, I don't know if it was the psychologist. That's probably what the psychologist would say. It's like, that's why we're good because you don't think it's us. Um, but like, it was just adapting and growing up, like pushing myself into the deep and eventually not drowning. That's essentially yeah. how I... I just adapted and but you, but found you, peace within the fact that, you know, um, this is what my world would be like. I'm not my family. I can live independently. Did, um, did, are there any breakthrough points that you could touch on now that were like, um, I know, uh, was it, was it like, did you join up with a group or did you um, go out of your way to spend more time with the, the girls that you were sort of growing a Closer to or... In Perth, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was my friends in college. Um, they really, really um, helped me become the person that I am. And I also think it was... I had, uh, and I still do, I have three friends in um, Notre Dame Fremantle who were studying medicine who studied health science with me. So they were Adelaide girls and they are Adelaide girls, but they are also doing the exact same thing as me. Um, and... That helped as well, but they came the year after I had started. So you still had to survive that first, first year. First year, okay. And and but then it got easier, didn't it? But because then it you got, knew they were coming. Exactly. And it, and it was like, oh, wow, look, I've survived and yeah. I've started integrating and now you guys can just piggyback off with all the hard it, work that I've done. A little bit, yeah, yeah. kind of. You know, it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that because, you know, there must have been a hell of a turnaround that you experienced after that because I remember you saying to me that, you actually didn't want to move back to Adelaide. In the I end. didn't, no. And that was maybe in third year when I adapted to Perth and loved the life that I had built there and the networks that I'd met because I realised I became the person that I am today because of Perth. Perth was the first time that I became friends with people that were not like from a Western background. I, most of my friends were Western here, like, mm -hmm. or very like, you know, didn't know about my M Middle Eastern heritage mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I actually hid it a lot in Adelaide. Like I never used to tell people that when you go into my house, you'll hear Quran, Quranic music, like playing in the background. You wouldn't hear the Turkish soap opera mum, you know, listening to old Um Kaltum, like all this old Arabic music. I used to get embarrassed about mm. my ethnicity growing up. Um, and at Perth, when I missed my home, I grew closer to 
myself and became more proud of having this Middle Eastern heritage. So were you playing that music in your room? Yes, whilst I was cooking exactly the same way that mum did. And I learned how to cook better when I was in Perth because I missed mum and I missed the food. So I wanted to learn the food that she cooked. I always loved cooking, like I said, in food and hospitality, but I started learning more traditional recipes. I started smoking shisha. Yes, I'm a doctor that smokes shisha. Woo, shocker. Um, just like there are doctors that get smashed on the weekend. Woo, shocker. Um, <laughs> and so I started to become more loud and proud. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, now, another story you told me was that you, when you, you, you've got your driver's license mm. and sometimes when you go to do parallel parking, you're not so good. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Um, so I just don't. Like that's, that's all it is. I don't parallel park. I used to ask my friends in the car with me to get out and park for me. So Would people behind you think that that's a little bit unusual, that you're sort of double ranked? I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> I didn't really care. Um, but you would get out while cars were behind you. And you're indicating to pull into a parking bay and swap drivers. Yeah. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing about Middle Eastern people. We just don't care. Like we just – it just doesn't really process in our heads like, oh, no, the rules. No. What rules? There are no rules. It's not very healthy. (laughs) just want to touch on Lebanon for a moment. When you went back with your family and your dad spends a lot of time over there, I know – were you ever sort of caught up in war zones or fighting or anything like that? Like your dad's often spoke to me about the bombs. The, the bombs. bombs. The bombs dropping. Uh, there the, were no bombs in that trip. No, not in ours. That was when they were living in Lebanon. Okay, and, and that was why they moved because mm-hmm. it was just getting to – do you remember any of the stories that they used to say about yeah. how close they got? Yeah, dad, dad almost died. Really? Yeah, so he got hit. Um, with a piece of the shrapnel. So there was a bomb and the piece of the shrapnel actually went into um, his abdomen and um, it was like maybe two millimetres or something like that away from his femoral artery. So it would he would have bled to death. Um, and mum was actually serving, like she was working as a doctor um, at that time. So um, when that happened, I guess it was a matter of, well, when are we going to, leave you know Lebanon we want a better life so they used to and mum used to tell stories about how they used to sit in the corners of each room um and pray um in fetal position kind of whilst the bombs were dropping and they would sit um like in the corner of the room because that's where the most most stability is in the house like if the house started to crash yeah it was insane that's Bedtime stories with Mason Malmazari. Well, with with, with Dad, when he um, received the shrapnel, was he at work that day or was it at home or where where did that He was fighting. He was in the army. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We don't really call it an army, I think. Like, it wasn't. It was literally just fighting for your life and your family because people were attacking the area of Beirut. So it was like you didn't have a choice. You had to fight. You literally. You so know? he was walking around with a gun? Yeah. Killing people? Not ki- – I don't think – well, Dad hasn't told me anything about killing people. Let's hope my father – I don't think is, my dad's is, killed anybody. This is war. Like, me. wow. 
That's that's very close to home. Mm. Often you hear those stories, but um, mainly they come from South Africa, where people have been in restaurants and having dinner and living yeah. a normal life, and then someone will walk in with a gun and threaten to shoot everyone. Yeah, and they'll think their life's over, and then the next day they sell all their possessions and move to Australia. Yeah, I've heard those stories on a number of occasions, but never with yeah. the Beirut. But um, and you you know your mum and dad probably don't like bringing it up because they've moved on, and it's you know dark memories that. Mm. Difficult yeah. for them to think about, but it's it's interesting that they've shared it with you. Yeah, they love. Sh- yeah, they're it proud of you. It makes you understand are. what they've been through yeah. to to get you to this point. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. All right. So we've done our med school. We've passed. I'm not going to even delve into that. Now you're at the Lyle McEwen Hospital mm. as an intern. So you've moved back to Adelaide, mm. which is great. Yeah. How does it feel moving back with mum and dad now that you've sort of become much more independent and realised your own identity? Um, it's diff. It's weird. It's I don't know how to just. It's really weird because I'm a completely different person, but um, I'm going back in the same environment, mm. which is really weird. Unusual. Yeah. Um, I love living with mum and dad though because, mm. like I said, I discovered my Middle Eastern heritage and who I am as a person in Perth, and so. It's like I fulfilled the – I did the med school thing, became a doctor. Now it's also about amalgamating that and my identity as a um, Lebanese Muslim Australian woman now and serving that aspect of my identity. So going back home, cooking with mum, looking after my parents, um, seeing my grandpa, my jador, hanging out with my cousins, that kind of stuff, like – I want to like build on that aspect mm-hmm. of Maysam as well as the medical Maysam and the independent Maysam. So um, it's kind of like my duty as a like Lebanese woman, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't see it as digressing or it sucks that I'm going back to home and living back with my parents. I see it as this is another part of the box that I'm ready to work on. Has being an intern been um i guess um what you've expected it to be no like i I know that this (laughs) you've got this affinity for medicine but um you you know are you fulfilling that dream now that you actually i am yeah yeah definitely i love people and i love serving people and i love my job i love it so much you really love it but it's a huge sacrifice and you don't realize the extent of the sacrifice until you're in the hospital doing night shifts, um, working on the weekends, staying way past your rostered hours because you can't leave that patient that, you know, has tachycardia and their saturations are like declining. You just can't, you can't leave that. That's someone's grandma. But at the same time, you've been there for 13 hours um, and it's a night shift and you've just finished your night shift and you have to drive back home in 55 minute traffic, but you just can't cause it's someone's grandma. And so that's the hard bit. Like how do you have a life outside of medicine slash not lose yourself? whilst still loving your career and your profession. Wow. That's, um, that's yeah, the can, challenge. Yeah, I can, I can see your heart for it yeah. by just explaining that. You know, you, you're not like – no, 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 it, it's good to hear mm. because um, 
you know, I, I'm the accountant, so I always see the doctors <laughs> making money and you think, oh, you know, everyone wants to go into medicine because they're the top 1% of income earners. And you get a bit of that. Mm. But when you dig down deep, you know, all of my medical friends and my medical customers have got a passion for medicine. You know, they take the oath that they are going to serve. And Magical. I think that's so mm-hmm. true. Like I've been on a flight, on a Jetstar flight back from Bali with a friend of mine who's a doctor and he said to me before we got on the plane, you know, just keep it low. I'm not checking in as a doctor. I'm just going as a mister. hope no one realises. And mm. if they call doctor over the PA, there's no way I'm putting my hand up. Well, anyway, that did happen. Mm. And they called it out four or five times over, wow. the, over the radio. And in the end, he put his hand up mm. and he did have to help this person who was like having this stress attack or a heart attack or something or other. And the pilot's constantly ferrying messages down with the air hostesses. Mm. Do you want me to turn the plane around and go wow. back? So he's got potentially 300 people all hanging on what he decides to do yeah. medically. And, you know, they gave him a bottle of wine for doing it. The guy was fine, but mm. the whole flight, everyone else is sleeping. He's there checking the pulse and you're not doing it for the bottle of wine a bottle you know? of wine worth like yeah you know, knowing the Qantas wine it's probably worth 30 or 40 dollars yeah and he's upset his whole flight and they didn't refund his money or anything he, he did say that he could make a medicare claim on it but you know <laughs> <laughs> big deal. but you know at that point you think really wow what a guy yeah exactly you know and and that's that's what's sort of coming through with what you're sort of touching yeah. on um and then you also, it is, you know, I'm not telling you how to do your job here, but you've also got to not be too emotional too yeah, because when you become, yeah. yeah, isn't it? Because you, otherwise you become a nervous wreck. It's like me with yeah. my business. If, if everyone who had financial problems who comes to me, mm. I took them on board as myself and internalised them. Yeah. You'd be a nervous wreck. Well, that's the thing. And it's about being secure in who you are as mm. a person um, and knowing when you are, like I guess someone once told me that you can't be a patient's friend, which I disagree um, because you can, but sometimes you do need to be that rock for them and you can't just be crying excessively in ICU when the patient has passed away. You have to be strong for their family and you have to be that person that provides support when they need it and provide them with the support to help themselves as well. Like, um, but other times you can be emotional and you can shed a tear. And mum always tells me the stories of how she cries with her patients and things like that. And she hugs them and she holds their hands and, you know, but you know, you need to know when it's appropriate and when it's not. And some people don't need that emotion. So you need to learn how to serve. It always goes back to serving. How are you going to serve that person and help that person? Some people might just need a hard ass and be like, okay, here's your script. You can leave now. Your dog just died, but I don't really care. Okay, move on now. And they'll be like, thank you, doctor. Whereas others would be like, I really understand how difficult this is and start shedding a tear. It's about service. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, if you are a very emotional doctor, like I am, it's okay, there's hope. We just need to channel it <laughs> appropriately. Well, Mason, I'm going to wrap up because um, I just said we've clicked over an hour. So um, that's been awesome. We're only supposed to do half an hour. Thank you ever so much for coming in. You're going to make an awesome doctor. Thanks for just sharing some of your stories. It's an amazing journey. And um, I'm just so um, impressed and blown away with what you've achieved and what you've done. And it's just going to look like you've got a massive future in front of you. So thanks for being part of the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.